rise for the reading of God's word. Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to the religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ in the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and the teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You may please be seated. Please be seated. Thanks, Jennifer. Tony, can we leave the slide of uh, verse 16 and 17 up? We're going to spend most of our time there this morning. Just going to move this out of the way here. Well, good morning again, everybody. Merry Christmas. How many people are tired this morning? Raise your hands. Tired? Anyone? Okay, it's not just me. Not just me. I'm a little tired. And this morning, I actually was feeling a little bit nauseous. So it's going to be a challenging uh, message this morning, not just for what God has for us, but physically, I'm feeling under the weather. Um, do you hear uh, echoing? Do you? Well, maybe uh, we'll see if we can fix that. Um, I think what we'll do first, we're going to start in a word of prayer, and I'll give Frank a chance to adjust the mic. And then we're going to get started with Colossians 2, 16 and 17. That's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. So please pray with me. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your son Jesus, as has been mentioned. We pray for your spirit to fill our hearts and minds, challenge us, change us. This morning, Lord, we want to open ourselves up to you because you are the God who changes people's lives. And as Rita was praying that we're going to turn the corner and the new year's about to start. And for some of us, we're going to look at that as a new opportunity to make some changes in our lives. And it's only going to happen by getting connected with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for the message this morning. Would your word, the Holy Scriptures, come alive? Would you bring color to them? And would the Holy Spirit speak to us in a way that we know is coming from you? All of this is in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, over the last year here at Thornhill Baptist Church, uh, I've been preaching about once a month on the book of Colossians. And it's actually a letter from one of the early followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, to this new Christian church in the city of Colossae, which is why it's called the Book of Colossians. 
And this learning adventure has been personally challenging and also very helpful, hopefully to you as well, reminding me of the things that I have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we've been studying this letter for the last little while, and whenever it's my turn to preach, I, I get a chance to jump back into this book. And if you haven't heard any, any sermons on this series, you can go to our website, thornhillbaptistchurch.com, and all of our sermons, Pastor Ken's and mine, they're on a little tab in the top left-hand corner, and you can catch up or listen to something that uh, you missed in the past. So the last couple times I've been up here, we've talked about a couple of very important topics in the life of following Jesus. And that is, number one, that you are complete in Jesus Christ. You have everything you need to be successful right now when you have Jesus. And number two, how you walk in Christ is how you are to live in Christ. And that is by faith. So both of these topics are very important and are mentioned regu uh, often in the letter to the Colossians. And this letter is under the topic of a discussion that's about guarding your heart against spiritual deception. So, so far, as we've been going through this series, verse by verse, we're learning different points along the way to help us grow as Christians. And a couple of, a couple of points that I just mentioned about walking with Jesus and how you receive Jesus is how you're to walk in your relationship with him. And both of those points are considered propositions of truth. That's what theologians like to call them. And how you apply propositions of truth is by believing what God has said through the Bible about you as a child of God and then letting it shape your life. As we have been learning a lot about what we have in a relationship with God and as a child of him, that comes through his, a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. So, we have learned that there are two guiding principles in being complete in our relationship with Jesus. Number one, we are complete in Jesus because Jesus is completely God. And number two, we are complete in Jesus Christ because Jesus finished all his work. Those are statements of faith or propositions of truth. There is going to come a time in every single person's life, every, every Christian's life, every non-Christian's life, where you're going to have to seriously consider the claims of Jesus Christ. We all have to very seriously consider what the Bible is actually saying. If you think about the things that Jesus taught and you think about the teachings of Scripture, it'll not allow you to just sit on the fence and not take a side. You have to make a decision. I mean, think about some of the claims that Jesus made. In the Bible, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Claiming to be one with God. So when you hear that or you read that, in that moment, you have a decision to make. Is he lying? Is he crazy? Maybe he's delusional. Or more importantly, is Jesus telling the truth? Whenever Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, our Creator, except through me, he is claiming that he is the only path to God. So, I'm sorry, Oprah Winfrey, and all your spiritual shows that, that talk about many paths leading to God, but according to the Bible, according to Jesus, there's only one path to God, 
And that is through Jesus. So in that moment, you have a decision to make. Is he lying? Is he crazy? Or is he telling the truth? See, the claims of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture, they're, they're deep. They're profound. But they're personal. And they have eternal significance behind them. It will not allow you to sit on the fence and not choose a side. Now, most of the time, I'm a youth pastor. Some of my students here. Good job this morning, guys. I'll fly away. Now, they're taught from very early on. In Sunday school right now, we have children up there. They're taught uh, uh, beliefs about the Bible and about Christianity. And as they get older, high school, college, university, as young adults, they begin to wrestle with what they believe. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But the last thing that we want is a whole bunch of the next generation of Christian robots who can recite the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount, just repeat things that they memorized as a kid, but they don't necessarily believe it with all their heart, mind, soul, strength. You know what I mean? They've got the Christian lingo down, but they've never encountered the truth. What you believe matters. Now, here's what I dug up for you in my study in the last couple of weeks for this sermon. What you believe matters. Our mindset is formed by our beliefs. Our actions flow out of our mindset. Our habits are formed by our actions, and our future is linked to our habits. So the future that you enjoy tomorrow is based upon the beliefs that you have today. What you believe matters. So today we're going to talk about our beliefs in regards to growing as a Christian. We're going to get into some scripture where the Apostle Paul says, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus and to grow in him. Paul is going to share three of the most common ways that people grow as a Christian, and they're all false paths. They don't lead to growth as a Christian. Some of them lead to more education. They might lead to morality, but they don't lead to growth in Christ. In this section of scripture this morning, there are four paths that are set in front of us. The Apostle Paul is going to point us to the right one. And along the way, show us the three false ones to avoid. Thank God for scripture. Now, we'll probably only have time to talk about one of those false, false paths this morning, but that's okay. One of these paths leads to the life that God has promised. Three of these paths are lies from the enemy. One of these paths is initiated by God where he does the work in you and through you. And three of the paths actually take you away from that and keeps you focused on managing your sin and being a good person in your own strength. And now the, the reason why this is so important and actually exciting is because for many of us, including me, we spend so much of our Christian lives on the wrong path. And when you've walked down the wrong path long enough, you get tired of jumping through religious hoops. You get tired of playing these religious games. And it brings you nothing but frustration. And you just get disillusioned, full of despair. And you feel like nothing you do is just good enough for God. Honestly, even myself, as a man of God, and now even as an associate pastor of this church, I'll sometimes struggle with the sharing of the gospel of Jesus. Because sometimes I feel like I'm passing this burden on to somebody else called the Christian life. Now, of course I share the gospel. And of course I share the good news of Jesus. Because it is a matter of life and death. 
It's a matter of heaven or hell on the other side of this life. So it's my responsibility as a follower to share the good news with people. And so I do. But I got to admit, the Christian life is not easy. And I admit there are times when I feel like when I share my faith, I'm just loading this burden onto someone else because following Jesus can be hard and difficult for myself anyways, and now I'm passing it on to somebody else. Is it okay to admit that? Is it okay to be honest like that? It's a good thing that God's grace is big enough to handle my growing pains as a Christian. Amen? Amen. Now, there's a book out there called Grace Walk. I think it's McVeigh, Stephen McVeigh. But in this book, another great book about God's grace, the author asks this question. What if you spend your entire life baking pumpkin pies for God only to find out that he doesn't even like pumpkin pie? In other words, what he's saying is, what if you go your entire life doing everything you think is right for God only to find out or only to realize that's not what God was asking for. Whoa. Now there's a passage in the Bible where Jesus says, who the sun sets free is free indeed, John 8, 36. Well, I gotta admit, sometimes when I read that, I think, man, either Jesus just lied or I am really missing the Christian life. I'm not free. I'm anything but free. And when I read another one of Jesus' statements from the Bible, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon thee, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Sometimes I think, God, this yoke is not easy. This burden is not light. I have felt sometimes that my good was not and is never good enough for God. And yet God's grace is and was and always will be big enough for my confusion and my frustration as I grow as a Christian. And he has been gracious enough to me to put people in my life and even send the right person at the exact right moment in time to reveal truth to me when I most desperately needed it. His timing is always perfect in that. And so, with his word and his spirit and his people pouring out truth into me about the Christian life, I've come to realize that my confusion and my frustration and this burden that I feel sometimes is because I get on the wrong path. I've been on the wrong path, and I don't want to be on the wrong path anymore. And it's not that I'm not saved. It's not that I never got saved or anything like that, but it's that I didn't know how to live as a saved person. Or actually, I'm still learning to live as a person who is saved. Because there's a huge difference between those two. There's a huge difference between being saved and set free from all your sins and not knowing how to live as a new person in Jesus Christ as opposed to not being saved at all. So when you've been on the wrong path for such a long time, or you get on the wrong path for a while, you feel that burden about the Christian life, and then you're set free in the freedom that only Jesus can give, and you're back on the right path, and you're going down in the right direction that you're supposed to be going, then you feel excited again, and everything starts to make sense. Things fall into place, and you start to learn and live the way you're supposed to as a new creation in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus sets you free, 
Part of your calling is to tell other people, come on over here. There's freedom over here. There's righteousness. There's holiness. There's love. There's forgiveness. There's life. It's good. Come on over here and see that the Lord is good. And trust me, it's exciting to see that the kingdom of God in action. When you get on the ice or get on the field and you start to play and enjoy and live and have fun and see how God reaches out to hurting people in this broken world. And you see how God sets people free and he makes them new. He makes them whole. He gives their lives meaning and purpose. And he sets them on a path that'll go on from this life and into the next and into eternity with him forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. It's amazing to see God taking people who were broken and lost and turning their life around and giving them a hope that surpasses all human understanding and getting them on that right path that is full of real peace and real joy, real purpose, meaning, and real love. And I wonder this morning if he's coming for you. Because you see, here's the question this morning. If there are a number of paths in front of you right now, are you on the right one? You know, in, in this church at Thornhill, we talk a lot about discipling one another, discipling our children, discipling our teenagers. And we want to be asking ourselves, are we discipling them so they can grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I certainly don't want to be passing down the same confusion and frustration and burden that I felt walking down the wrong path as a Christian to my students, to our young people. So let's not forget the question. Are we baking pumpkin pie for God only to realize one day that he doesn't like pumpkin pie? Well, let's find out what the word of God says in the Bible, Colossians chapter 2. And yes, we are speaking about following Jesus and growing as a Christian. Thank you, Jennifer, for reading that for us this morning. And as I mentioned, if you want to hear other messages leading up to this morning's message, they're all on the website, and it'll help fill in a little bit of the history but a lot of what I have shared about has been this truth about what we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Propositional truth or in Christ truth. According to the Bible, you can only be in one of two positions. Before you repent and turn away from your sins you, and you come to know and accept Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are what the Bible calls in Adam before Jesus. And then after salvation, after you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are what the Bible calls in Christ. Now, all the studying you can do, all the commentaries that you can read will let you know that propositional truth is a lot harder to teach than, and preach than applicational truth. For example, there's a passage in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews says, don't stop meeting together as Christians. Now, that's called applicational truth. It's very simple to preach and teach because you can tell people exactly what they need to do. You need to go look for a church or a Bible study or a small group and hang out with other Christians. It's an easy, quick application from Scripture to your life. But when the book of Colossians says, you are complete in Christ, there's no step-by-step -step process of what to do next or how to apply that truth. 
So it is what we call propositional truth. And you apply that truth by renewing your mind with that truth, by refreshing yourself in that truth, going back to that truth over and over, and you start leaning into that truth in every circumstance of your life. And that's how you start to apply these types of positional truth. But here's the problem with that. It's harder than you think because we've gotten so used to thinking that all our results come flow out of our actions. If we do the right thing, we'll get the right results. But it's true because there's so much of our life where that's what actually happens. So for your New Year's resolution, if you want better health, there's a number of things you can actually do to make that happen to achieve that goal. You can eat better. You can exercise. You can stop, quit doing things that are harmful to your body, and you're going to get good results from caring about your body. Proper action steps, good results. Or maybe this year you want to have a better career. So you, stay, you take evening classes, you start networking, you apply for positions in the field that you want, and you get better results from proper action. So it makes sense then in Christianity, if you're coming into this brand new spiritual infancy and you want to graduate into spiritual maturity, then there should be a number of action steps that you take to accomplish that, right? And the church is a perfect place for you to choose to do that. You can come here and worship, read your Bible, you can pray, volunteer, serve in different parts of ministry, give donations. You can go to an El Salvador mission trip if you want to. And the thought is that if you do the right things and take the proper action steps, you will grow in Christ into spiritual maturity. Now, in one way, that type of thinking is right. Take the right action steps will cause you to grow as a Christian. If you have the proper definition before that. And here's what I mean. Results come through proper actions that flow out of right position and right beliefs. Because if we say spiritual growth and spiritual maturity simply comes from going to church and volunteering and serving and putting money in the offering plate, reading your Bible and praying, etc., etc., well, here's a question. How do you tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer? A non-believer can go to church. A non-believer can volunteer and serve. A non-believer can put money in the offering plate, read the Bible, my friends, how can you grow in Jesus or be growing as a Christian if you have not yet met Jesus? So you see, that's the first place that we have to go back to, to the understanding that when you're talking about spiritual maturity and growing as a Christian, that it's not simply going through a church group list of things and checking things off, but it's very definitive. What does growing as a Christian look like? Well, here's the definition that I found this past week. Growing as a Christian is spirit-empowered living whereby Christ's character is manifested in you and Christ's life is expressed through you. It's almost word for word from Romans 8.29 and Galatians 5.22. It's becoming more and more like Jesus, but it's from the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Spirit-empowered living. It's not you taking on a number of challenges and checking off the old church list and making sure you got everything done, but instead, it's the Holy Spirit inside of you doing this. And it's not that the Holy Spirit is just cleaning you up and creating a cleaner version of your old self, but it's Jesus Christ and his character 
being manifested in you and being lived through you. Now, if we're going to talk about growing as a Christian, then we need to make sure that we mention what growing as a Christian is not. Growing as a Christian is not knowing more about the Bible. Growing more as a Christian is not reading your Bible more. Growing as a Christian is not praying more or doing more, serving more, giving more. Growing as a Christian is also not being a moral person. It's also not being an ethical person. It's not being someone with a good work ethic. But let's be honest. Sometimes there are people who are not Christians who do some of those things better than some of us Christians do. But what we have to do is go back and distinguish between what is a believer and what is a non-believer. So this is why when we talk about growing as a Christian, we talk about spirit-empowered living. Because only a real true believer has the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of them, which is how Jesus' character makes himself known inside of you. And like I said, we get that right out of Romans 8.29, Galatians 5.22. Now we tie those two together. Growing as a Christian begins with positional change. You cannot grow as a Christian until you are in Jesus, till you know Jesus. Does that make sense? At the same time, it's the work of Jesus Christ himself that brings about this positional change. It's not that you and I are doing anything to step into that position on our own, right? We don't save ourselves, but rather it's the finished work of Jesus on that cross that allows the positional change to take place. So number one, growing as a Christian begins with positional change. Number two, growing as a Christian continues as we believe what God declares. Our actions flow out of our beliefs. If I were to believe this morning here that I still have a sin nature in me as a Christian, then I'm going to be focusing on everything I can do to conquer it and destroy it and overcome it. Or how do I make myself look more like Jesus? So I need to believe what the Bible declares, what the Bible says this morning, that at the moment of my salvation, Jesus cut away that sin nature from me. So now I'm a new creation in Christ. At the moment of salvation, when I gave my life to Jesus, this new nature, this freedom in Christ was given to me as Jesus took away my sin. He made me this new creation because of what he did for me. So what we believe matters, my friends. I'm convinced that there are tons of Christians out there spending their entire Christian lives with one goal in mind, and that is trying to figure out how I can sin less tomorrow than I did today. That's it. It's all about sin. It's all about how do I not do this? How do I not do that? But what the scriptures teach us and what we find is that when Jesus is living through us, our goal is not do I, how do I sin less, but how do I know Jesus more? And as I know him more, and I know what I have in a relationship with him more, it's through me that I begin to reveal this righteous life. But it's not because of me mustering up the strength to do it, but it's based upon his holy perfection by what Jesus has already fulfilled the law, and now he's simply living his life through me. There is freedom in that position. So I go back to the original statement again. Results come through proper actions that flow out of right position and right beliefs. And now the reason I share all of that 
is because it's so important that we understand what growing as a Christian is or what growing in Christ is and what it is not before we get on the path of trying to figure out that this is how you grow in something that we don't understand fully to begin with. So here's a question that I'll answer with the last 10 minutes here. What does it look like to truly be growing as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Number one, growing as a Christian does not come through human-centered efforts. That's verse 16, 17, and a little bit of 18, 20 to 23, this whole section. In these verses that Jennifer read this morning, Paul mentions three wrong paths that a person can take in trying to grow as a Christian. And not only do these paths not produce any growth, but they actually take you back further away from your goal. They lead to bondage, pride, self-effort, self-reliance, self-righteousness. They lead to head knowledge that doesn't have the power to restrain the temptations of the flesh. These paths in Colossians 2, 16 to 23, will never lead to true growth as a Christian. Now, I point out something quickly before we list these paths. None of these three paths would ever reject Jesus Christ as Lord. They would all just say that he's not enough for a complete life of holiness and growing as a Christian. And so when we look at these paths, the reason they look so appealing to Christians is that they look and sound so close and real to the real thing. The paths look so close to what is right that people have difficulty deciding what's right and what's wrong, which is why the teaching in the book of Colossians, which is why this letter is talking about spiritual deception amongst new Christians. So, growing as a Christian does not come through human-centered efforts. There's a word out there that I learned early on in my Christian faith called legalism. Legalism falsely teaches that growth comes through Jesus Christ plus keeping all the rules of the church. Here's a quote for you. Legalism is the religion of human achievement. Legalism is the religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based on Jesus plus human works, mostly centered around the Old Testament law. Now, if you've been around Christianity long enough, you'll find out, first of all, that there are more than just 10 commandments. There were actually 613, and 613 commandments weren't even enough for us because we have others that we want to add on top of that because we're so concerned about offending God that we set up these human-made rules around the ones found in the Bible just to be sure we don't break any of his. It's called legalism. Now, let me ask you a question. How well did we do with the rules the first time around? Let's not even talk about the 613 laws because somebody could argue, well, there were too many to, to, to follow all of them. But let's go a little farther back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. There was one rule, one law, one commandment. Don't eat that. That's basically it. Eat anything else in the world, anything else in the garden, just don't eat from that tree. And I mean, every single parent has said to their kids, I mean, a kid picks up a clump of dirt, and mom and dad say, don't eat that dirt. So they put that down, they pick up a ladybug and swallow that. And it's constant. It doesn't matter. It's, it's one law, 10 laws, 613 laws. We don't like any of them. Because the issue is not the amount of law. The issue is rebellion. The moment that that enters into the equation, that's why we're not able to follow the law of God. 
We find that our failure was never linked to the amount. It wasn't linked to whether or not the task was too difficult. Don't eat that is not difficult. It's linked to the fact of rebellion. So legalism teaches that we grow spiritually by faith in Christ plus keeping all the rules and the laws. And what did the Apostle Paul say about that in verse 16? He starts off like this with the, with the word therefore. I was taught a long time ago as a young Christian, when you see that word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? Therefore is a, a connecting word that tells us that everything he's about to share is connected to what he just shared. So those of you that have been following this series and what I've been preaching about, you know that what we just learned is how you receive Jesus Christ as Lord is how you are to walk with Jesus Christ as Lord. And that is by faith. We walk by faith and we are complete in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is completely God and we are complete in Jesus Christ because Jesus finished his work with sin on the cross and the resurrection. Therefore, since he is complete, therefore, since you're complete, therefore, since you're completely saved, since you're completely forgiven, since you're completely victorious, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink and the Sabbath because of what Jesus did on the cross. Everything that we are now building upon in Colossians now as a point of moving forward, is still based on everything that Jesus has done on our behalf. I've mentioned this before in other sermons, but in Colossae, there's these false teachers on the scene. And there were those who were a part of Greek philosophy and mysticism and Gnosticism. And then there's also these Jewish Christians who are bringing this legalism and parts of the Old Testament law into this new Christian church. And they're trying to mix these false ideas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these false teachers were saying that in order to be saved, you need Jesus plus circumcision, plus this, plus that. Others are saying that you need faith in Jesus plus wisdom, plus some secret knowledge. You need to ask Jesus into your heart, forgive you of your sins, plus you need to give us money to the church. Plus, you got to memorize all the commandments. Plus, you got to do this. Plus, you got to do that. The group that Paul was addressing right now in verse 16 this morning is saying that you need Jesus. Plus, you need to obey the diet laws of the Old Testament. He talks about what you eat and what you drink. But what we find in the Bible, especially the Gospel of Mark, almost all of chapter 7, Jesus says, eating and drinking, that's all taken care of. That's all been solved. Or Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is saying today in our scripture is that there's a change that has taken place from these dietary laws of the Old Testament, and now nobody is to act as your judge and point the finger at you in regard to food or drink. So, let's pause for a moment. You can go ahead and eat that Christmas ham. And don't be afraid to head on over to the keg and have a good steak, medium rare, blood dripping, lobster, crab. Don't forget about the popcorn shrimp. You don't eat it, I will. I mean, yes, there was a time when all of the Old Testament law was on the table and they were there for a variety of reasons. Uh, that's another sermon. 
But now, because of Jesus, don't let anyone be your judge over food or drink. Or, or he even goes on to say about keeping the Sabbath or in respect to a festival or a new moon. And a festival was an annual Jewish celebration like Passover, Pentecost, Festival of Lights, or the Feast of Weeds, Feast of Tabernacles. I found out studying, uh, the commentary said that the new moon marked the first day of the new month. And it also marked when monthly sacrifices were to take place in the temple, according to Numbers 28. So Sabbath was a weekly day of rest that occurred from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday. And what Paul is teaching us in the scripture today is that in all of these things, nobody is to act as your judge. Sometimes people say that I'm, a, I'm religious. And I tell them, I sure hope not. Because when I read the New Testament, most of the harshest rebuke that Jesus has is for religious people. It's for people who think they've got it all together, that they've checked off all the boxes and they've got their Christian to-do list all done and they're going to heaven, no hell for them because they've done everything. And following a bunch of human traditions and human rules because you think somehow that that counts towards your credit for salvation, ultimately, it's a slap in the face to a God who sent his son to die on that cross for your sins. I heard this before. I don't know who said it. It's like taking a ladder and going up to the cross that Jesus is hanging on and just slapping him in the face. It sounds harsh, but essentially if you think that you and your good works can save yourselves from your sins, you're just making a mockery of what God did for you on that cross. Now, I've been a part of that legalistic group. I've been on the legalistic path thinking that somehow I could earn God's grace Somehow, if I just put on my work boots and work gloves and work hard enough, check off all the Christian do's and Christian don'ts, then somehow I could attain salvation and one day go to heaven because I worked hard enough for it. So, no one is to act as your judge. Verse 17, he continues by saying, these things are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The image here is great. And I'll close with this. A shadow has no reality because the truth is the reality makes the shadow. When you see your shadow on a sunny day, it's there because you're there. Whoa, that's deep. If you're going to Twitter anything about this morning's service, Twitter that. That's a good one. Your shadow doesn't hang around any longer after you leave. Your shadow has no reality. The reality is what causes the shadow. In other words, Paul is teaching us that the shadow here is the law and the reality is Jesus. So why would you still be holding on to the shadow when you have the substance? When you got the real thing right here, why would you go back? You see, regarding food regulations, Jesus is the bread of life that came down from heaven, John 6, 41. Jesus is our Passover lamb that has been sacrificed, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And in regards to the Sabbath, we have been granted eternal rest in Jesus, says Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. So as a follower of Jesus and as a growing Christian, Freddie, where does the law of the Old Testament fit in? Is it even valuable still? Yes. 
Paul's not saying you're free to just go out and party hard like you've never done before and live like there's no tomorrow, sin like the devil. And many people may want to take that definition and just go and do whatever makes them feel good, no matter what the cost. But we don't need anybody leaving here this morning saying that the pastor uh, said that we were free to do whatever we want to do. So go pick up a bottle of this and pack of that and a bag of that and we're going to drop it like it's hot tonight because that's not what we're saying here at all. God's grace is not so you have a ticket to sin all that you want. But here's what we do find out about the law and the law in the Old Testament. The law in the Old Testament reveals the holiness of God. The law of God is the shadow of Jesus Christ. And we find Luke 24, 27 backs that up. So when we talk about Jesus in this church and getting to know him and having intimacy with God, the law in the Old Testament is what helps us to understand God's character. Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore, what's it there for? The law has become our tutor to lead us to Jesus Christ so that we may be forgiven of our sins. Paul says that he would not have known sin if the law didn't reveal it. So as a body of Christians, it's important that we do share the law because the law is perfect for converting the soul, the Bible says. And if you never preach the law of God, then nobody will ever hear about the holiness of God and people won't understand that their sin separates them from a holy God. There was a time when I used to read those signs, Jesus saves. Stadiums, hockey rinks, guy on the street corner, Jesus saves. And actually, I didn't know what that meant. So if we want to know what those Jesus saves signs are telling us, then we need to know the law to tell people what, what sin is, what we have broken, that we are all sinners, we're all lost, we all fall short of God's holy standard, and we need a Savior. I believe that God's word, the Bible, has the power in and of itself to cut people to the heart. And you know what? Sometimes I think people who make a quick profession of faith and they believe for a while, but then shortly they fall away and they're attempting to live the Christian life, but uh, a year later they're back to their old way of living, doing what they used to do. Because I think, could it be because we're teaching them how amazing God's grace is right at the front instead of sharing them the law of God and how holy our God is and how wicked and devastating and how desperately lost we are in our sin? 1 Timothy 1.8 says that, but we know the law is good if one uses it properly. If you talk about revealing your sin or you talk about the holiness of God or if you're warning people or you're pointing people towards Jesus, then he says that is good. The law is the shadow and Jesus is the substance, the reality. We get our word photograph from that word shadow here in verse 17. Now think about this for a second. Back in the day when moms and dads used to send their children, sons and daughters off to war, or husbands and wives would send their spouse off to war, many times the only thing they had was a photograph. And that photograph meant so much to them because it reminded them of this loved one that was overseas. Now imagine for a moment that that loved one returns home. And they're, they come running through the airport and they're reunited with their family. And the family's been holding this picture for so long that when the person arrives, instead of throwing their hands out to hug their loved one, they just hold on tightly to this picture, to the photograph. 
Why hold on to the photograph when you can hug the real person? Jesus. And you see, the Apostle Paul is saying, when the holy God is present, put down the shadow, put down the pictures, and hold on to him. Why? Because you're complete in him. You see, that's the stuff we're teaching here in the book of Colossians. That's what Paul is trying to get through to us. Because if it sinks in, it changes everything. It sets people free. Growing as a Christian does not happen by following the law of God as best as you can. Legalism cannot restrain the flesh. A person can follow all the Christian rules on the outside, but inside they can still be rebellious. If you want real change to happen, as opposed to just managing your day-to-day sins, then you need to let Jesus change you from the inside out, and he will change your desires. And we'll all struggle with legalism from one time or another. We do want to believe that we're saved by grace through faith, but we still like to put on this baggage that says, you know, I worked hard enough. I did this. I do that. I volunteer. But that's not what it's about. The moment that anyone says that spirituality or growing as a Christian comes through faith in Jesus plus keeping the law or anything else, you're in the line of legalism. So, those teachings people are going to struggle with for a long time. Stay away from that path. We're guilty of it. No matter where you go, sin will still be sin. Grace will still be grace. And Paul, myself, and any Christian worth his salt is going to tell you that just because our God is a forgiving God, that does not mean that you can do whatever you want just because God's grace is so big. So we're going to respond to this message now by singing together. I'm going to invite up my brother John. We're going to close out the service by singing a hymn, hymn 451, and we're all going to stand and Irene and Horace will play. And I think, let the words of this hymn be your words. Let this be your prayer as we sing together here. Hymn 451. Thank you, Freddie. Hymn 451, please, for our closing song. 451. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. I 
my friends, go in the peace and the knowledge that when you surrender all to Jesus, he will complete you. And you have everything you need when you have a relationship with him. You're dismissed. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2015.